Well, well, good morning. We'll turn in our Bibles uh, this morning to the book of Colossians in chapter, chapter 2 this morning. Uh, so last week that I preached, we finished up in uh, Colossians chapter 1, so we're beginning chapter 2 this week. Uh, and just a quick recap of some of the things that we've looked at so far in chapter 1. Uh, firstly, that Paul was in jail when he was writing to the Colossian church, and he begins the letter... Uh, by warning them about teachings that were going around their area uh, and that could become a problem for them. Uh, So you might remember that these teachings uh, were ones of, uh, firstly, Jewish ceremonialism, uh, which is pretty much that the Old Testament uh, is still a part of uh, salvation now uh, and that it's carried over, hasn't been finished. Um, Also asceticism uh, or forms of self-denial, Uh, So denying self uh, has different forms. Uh, People might go and live in a monastery on their own, so just uh, denying their uh, social aspects or even go to the lengths of putting rocks or uh, glass in their shoes, uh, denying their (coughs) comfort, uh, that in some way that made them more holy and brought them to a place of salvation. Uh, And other teachings uh, that Jesus alone wasn't enough was the crux of what they were saying. It wasn't enough to save a person. Uh, so you needed extra knowledge given from God specifically for you to understand and be saved uh, with the teachings. Uh, but Paul goes on to state that Christ uh, is God himself and therefore has all power, including the power to save. And then he goes on to say that he is a minister for Christ. And we looked at the fact that everyone who has become a Christian has also become a minister and has taken on the responsibilities that come with that. And as we begin in chapter 2, we see Paul transition from talking about himself and his ministry uh, and returning to speaking to the church uh, again. So chapter 2 and verse number 1 reads, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Uh, Let's just open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time uh, where we can come together, this place that you've uh, given to us, Lord. We just pray that as we open your word this morning, as we look into it, that you would uh, help each one here to uh, take something from it, Lord, that your, your Holy Spirit would guide them uh, into the truth that, uh, that you would have for them, that they would uh, leave here uh, changed and with, uh, with the mind of growing uh, more and more like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So just reading verse number one again says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So Paul says that he wants them to know that he is struggling for them and not only them but for all who haven't seen him face to face. Uh, The word used for struggling means conflicted uh, or in a race or a fight. Uh, Essentially it's being in a form of agony. So Paul was fighting for the church at Colossae, though he had never met them. Uh, And Paul was limited, when you think about it, in the kinds of agonising or fighting that he could have been doing. Um, For us here, if we were agonising or fighting for a church who we hadn't met, uh, we might be trying to organise money to send them, or food or water, uh, if they'd had uh, some form of natural disaster or something like that, uh, or any other physical help that we could provide them. Uh, Paul, though, was basically on his own, 
He was limited to his jail area. He didn't have the means of helping the church physically, and that wasn't what was causing Paul's struggle anyway. Uh, It was their spiritual welfare. Uh, Verse 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul was struggling for the church's spiritual welfare, and there were two things which he, uh, which he did to help them. Uh, the first thing that he did was that he prayed for them. And we read that in chapter 1 when Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. The second thing that he did was write this very letter that we're studying. He took the time and effort to sit down uh, or stand up or however he was in jail, and he used his knowledge of God and wisdom to write to them that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And this is a good reminder for us uh, that all around us there are people who are struggling spiritually uh, within our church and other churches, and some wear it on their sleeves, others might bury it down, but there are people around us who are having spiritual trouble. And like Paul, our love for the church should be such that we are burdened by each other's spiritual welfare not only to feel this burden, but to be moved by it to action. And Paul took two forms of action to help, and we can do the same. Firstly, praying for those that we know are struggling, and secondly, reaching out to them with the truth of God's word, who he is and his teaching. This is, the part, this is part of the reason that we need to know the Bible and what it teaches, not only to grow us closer to God, but to be able to help Uh, and struggle for the spiritual welfare of those around us. Uh, Which isn't just up to the pastors. It's not not just up to them to be concerned and help with the spiritual welfare of the church, but also our responsibility to be looking out for each other. And this is what we see Paul practising here. And he gives the end goal of his ministering and his struggling in verse number 2, which again says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So his first goal is that their hearts may be encouraged. So the word hearts here isn't what uh, you might initially think. Uh, You might look at the verse and think that another way of saying it is that they might feel encouraged. Uh, Instead, it has to do with the mind and the thoughts. The word encouraged used here also carries with it the idea of being strengthened, being inspired. So Paul is saying that he wants their minds to be strengthened to reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. In other words, he wants them to have understanding and conviction in the truth they believe. And this will help them as they are confronted by false teachers and wrong beliefs that will inevitably come. So we too need to have our minds strengthened and there are a number of ways that we can do that. Uh, Firstly, we need to note that it is a work of the Spirit of God uh, who we know lives in every Christian. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. We are strengthened through the Word of God, through trials and difficulties that come our way, God also strengthens us through other teachers, Christians who minister to us in the Spirit. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2, which says, 
and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and strengthen you in your faith. We need to protect our minds and have them strengthened through the Spirit so we don't fall into misinformation and untruth as Satan and the world would want us to. It isn't only that our minds would be strong and full of intellect and understanding only, but that a balance would occur. And we read of that in the next part of Colossians verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, which says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. This is the second thing that Paul wishes for the Colossian Christians, and the second thing that we should wish for ourselves is that we be united in love. To firstly be strong in mind, and secondly, united in love. We don't want to get carried away with intellect. We don't want to make our faith something that is purely academic. Uh, That's not what Christianity is. And this is clearly explained in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the first three verses, which say, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. All our theology and intellect is balanced off by love. At the same time, we don't want to get carried away with only love and forget knowing God. Knowing God in a deep way, learning about him and his ways helps us to, be, to know how to love correctly and effectively. So there is a balance to be found between knowing God, uh, sorry, there is a balance to be found between knowing God and his ways intellectually and having love. Uh, Colossians 2 and verse 2 says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. The word knit means to unite. A good picture of this is our human body, which is made of billions of cells all knit together. It's the idea of all the parts being put together in a way that leaves them almost without any personal identity. And in this case, the glue that holds them together is love. As Christians, we have unity, whether we like it or not in some ways. Our common position before God and our eternal home gives us a unity like no other. Uh, Why then would Paul say that they need to have unity if being Christians they already have it? And that's because we have the capacity to operate in our lives without this unity. In other words, Paul is saying, you are one, now act like it in practice. Behave as one. Uh, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, and I'll have a glass of water. Speaking about unity in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul wishes for unity amongst the church. The third thing that Paul wants for them is to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Uh, So we see that firstly, they be strong in heart, secondly, united in love, thirdly, assured of understanding and we see a process here forming 
uh, where when you know the truth in your mind and you act it out in deeds of love, then you'll be given a sense of confidence and assurance uh, when you're not only learning of Christianity intellectually but also watching it operate uh, in your own life and others, you gain assurance. The verse says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Paul is saying that he wants them to have assurance of their salvation and the way to have this is by living out acts of love. Uh, and observing God working in their own lives, having the strength of mind in learning the intellectual ins and outs of salvation can only give you so much assurance. Living out what we know in love is what gives us confidence in our salvation. Uh, it says in the verse to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Another way to say this would be to experience all of the riches that are available to you when you're solid and you're assured of what you have. Uh, in other words, you can't enjoy the richness of these things until you're really assured that they're yours. And he goes on to say exactly <clears throat> what they need to be assured of, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is saying that they need to be convinced of the deity and all-sufficiency of Christ, that the hidden God has manifested himself in the revealed Christ. And Paul is saying this because uh, those are the two things that the false teachers in Colossae were attacking, the deity of Christ and his sufficiency to save. Uh, he says that is where they need to start. That is the foundation. They have to have a settled conviction about the deity of Christ and his sufficiency. Uh, people were coming into Colossae attacking the deity of Christ, uh, as we talked about before, saying that Jesus was just an em emanation, just a sort of angelic being down the line, a good emanation, a good spirit like many others. And they were saying that it isn't enough to just come to Christ for salvation, but that he's just one step on the ladder and that you also need extra wisdom and you've got to have some mysterious knowledge as well. But Paul says to the Colossian church, that he wants them to have an absolute settled assurance about the riches that they have. Uh, and the first thing that they have to be sure of is that Christ is none other than the hidden God revealed, that he is deity. Uh, and chapter 2 and verse 3 says that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that is his point, a settled conviction about Christ. And the last point that I want to look at uh, is in verse number three, which says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the word hidden in the Greek uh, is apocryphous, from which we get apocryphal. The heretics and the false teachers believed uh, there was a great mass of divine knowledge necessary for salvation, and that it was hidden in secret books, and the secret books were called apocryphas. And only those who had the super intellect could open them. But Paul says here that the only hidden treasures to be found are in Jesus Christ. The day that we accepted Jesus Christ into our hearts and received him is the day that we were given access to the treasures of all wisdom and knowledge to take what we need. So the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden to everyone but the believer. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18 read... I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, We can spend time praying for the physical needs and struggles of Christians around us, uh, but we should also pray that they would be increasing in their knowledge of God, knowing who God is, uh, what his word teaches is the calling for every Christian. And I'll finish by reading 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17, uh, which speaks of some of these things. Uh, it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work.